0: The Simon Shore podcast is presented by Box Score Network. Box Score Network is your one stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, and fantasy advice? Check out Box Score Network. Follow Box Score Network on Twitter at B Network for updates. And welcome back in to another episode of the Simon Short Podcast. I am Simon Short. Joining me this week for a little, uh, little, little break from the deep dives and, and the getting the nitty gritty of everything uh, is Peyton Davila of the Two P's on a Pod podcast. Peyton is back. Peyton, we're bookending the 2023-24 NFL season. You came on after Week One to talk fantasy league winner waiver wire pickups. And now you're back to tell us about some lessons from the fantasy football season. I have three lessons. You have three or more lessons. Um, I was, I was very successful in fantasy football last year, so I felt great going into this episode when I did it. I, I was in two finals. I won one. I was like, I know everything about fantasy football. This year, nothing, man. I was in two toilet bowls. I did not have a – and I feel – Bad. I don't like any of my lessons. Uh so I can't wait to tell them to you and you tell me why they don't work. But I'm very excited. But first off, Peyton, welcome in. How you doing?
1: Yeah, thanks. I it is very fitting that you have me on for this episode. Like you said, uh starting off our conversation with the fantasy season in week one and kind of ending it uh in the where, you know, taking our initial thoughts that we had, which if I remember correctly, we actually had a couple of good takes. Um, we did I pretty think, good we did I think pretty good kyron williams aged pretty well mm-hmm. uh, even though it didn't seem like an immediately jordan loved aged really really
0: mm-hmm. well <laughs> mm-hmm. and then um you know you yeah, had nico others. you had nico collins nico
1: yeah honestly i kind of
0: forgot that i had nico you, th- yeah. you threw that one in at the end yeah. we had the puka conversation after week one we did and we i had all these stats end, about but... from the last decade. Guys who explode week one—it's only ever worked for Anquan Bolden in two thousand. It's like I love—I was very excited about. Puka. I liked Puka as a prospect, but I was not like he's going to be a wide receiver one dish. And you know, here we are. So uh, you were in on Puka, by the way. I should tell the listeners I—I I was not all the way there from a fantasy perspective. But yeah, uh, we we had some good ones in there. So yeah, man, happy to have you.
1: Yeah, little did we know he was going to have quite literally the best wide receiver season yeah. for a rookie of all time. But just no big. Uh, yeah, no big... I, I'm I'm really glad to have this conversation and um try and take you know they, I know that there are some very popular uh, fantasy football shows as well that do a very similar thing that we you know where we try and remember these things going into next season. And it's funny because you know we do these in the end of January or so, and then we. Definitely forget ourselves and oh, yeah. do not follow this advice whatsoever. But I think maybe this is maybe this is the time it'll finally work.
0: <laughs> this is this is definitely the time this will 100 percent happen. Um, <laughs> without further ado, Peyton, I, I'm going to kick it to you to start us off. Uh, these are no don't have to be in any particular order. If you have an order, by all means, but give us your first lesson from the 2023, 24 fantasy football season.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't have any, like, these are not ranked by importance, but I'll just go ahead and start us off with the one thing that, which it is true for running backs that the age cliff is a very real thing. As, I mean, the data shows it, it's it's super real. I mean, we saw it with even guys, even though they played well this year, um, Derrick Henry, definitely a victim of the age cliff, even Austin Eckler, huge victim mm-hmm. of the age cliff this year, but, when it comes to the wide receiver position before this season, it, there was a lot of data that was being gathered and it, it, it was suggested that the age cliff that was, it was around 28 to 29 years olds when these wide receivers start falling off and no longer produce elite seasons. And uh, this, this year definitely convinced me that I, I think that either one of two things needs to happen. Either a, we need to just recalibrate our brains to, have a different age cliff or B, we have to be more willing to take risks on the older guys who are the, the mm-hmm. exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by the exception of the rule is just the, the guys that we know are elite producers that it, regardless of any kind of injury problems that they've had, that it, the thing that matters is the target share that they, they garner in the offense because There's been no change to their surroundings. And just going through the list of the guys that are above that 28 to 29-year-old age cliff that suggested, guys like Tyreek Hill, who was taken really high in ADP, but I I think that maybe some people were worried about him being, I believe he's 30 years old now. Uh, He finished as a wide receiver three. Uh, The wide receiver five on the season, which is one of the best examples of this, uh, Mike Evans, who just continues mm-hmm. to be the the definition of consistency at the wide receiver position. Yep. Um, and then and you got guys after that, like Keenan Allen at wide receiver 8, Stephon Diggs at wide receiver 10, Devontae Adams, although he finished slightly below his ADP, uh, still a wide receiver 1 at wide receiver 12. Then you guys got have guys like Calvin Ridley and Amari Cooper at wide receiver 17 and 18, respectively. Uh, followed by DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver 23 and Adam Thielen at wide receiver 25, who had a hot start to the season cooled off Mm -hmm. a little bit towards the end, but still uh, a very, very useful fantasy asset for weeks one through nine ish somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. all those receivers I just named all perform near or at or above their ADP uh, at the end of the year. And, and the ones that just to give context, uh, the ones that actually exceeded their ADP were Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, and Adam Thielen, and so and also in addition to those guys, even guys like Tyler Lockett, Brandon Cooks, and Cooper Cup all finished. They all finished around like the wide receiver three range. Those guys, well over the age of I believe thirty, uh, all were usable fantasy assets throughout the year when they were healthy. So you you look at those guys and a lot of those coming into the season, it's it's a matter of us not being so afraid to take these guys because we think the cliff is coming. And, and I, I think that we almost have to approach some of them, not all of them. I think so, there there's certain instances where it's like, all right, th- this guy, there's no way he's going to produce after this. But I, I think we have to adjust it in the same way we had to adjust the, the Kelsey scale for a couple of years mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. where Travis Kelsey, we kept being afraid to take him because the cliff was coming. The cliff was coming yep. and it never did. Um, And that's just not the case anymore. I think that obviously we've advanced medically uh, to a point where these guys are just in better shape or better athletes uh, later in their careers. And not only that, but I mean, with the way that the rules are protecting players, especially wide receivers, Mm -hmm. uh, I think these guys' careers are getting extended a little bit more, even more than they were even just six years ago, when a lot of this age cliff data started to kind of be gathered. Um, the other thing is I do want to point out that just to put in perspective, these guys above, you know, that 28 to 29 year old range this year, we had a lot of guys that and and it happens every year where we do kind of get dynasty brain, where we get these younger sexy wide receivers that have high draft capital that seem like they are primed to break out um, and and produce at a, you know, wide receiver two or better level. Uh, But like the list of guys I'm about to name were taken above or around the same ADP as guys like the Tyler Lockets, the Mike Evans, the Brandon Cooks, and the Adam Thielen's. And they finished at or below where those guys finished. And so guys like Drake London and Christian Watson were super mm-hmm. trendy mm-hmm. wide receiver two options, according to ADP, uh, both finished at wide receiver 40 and wide receiver 65 respectively, which is not what you want given where you draft those guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then you have guys like Jerry Judy, George Pickens at JSN, Jahan Dotson. And then, you know, the illustrious Gabe Davis, who, you know, gets drafted around, you know, late wide receiver three range every single year because of his blow up games, even though he's the most, you know, the least reliable fantasy asset at the wide receiver position. But it's just an example that whenever we try and talk ourselves into guys like the the young guys I just named to remember that you, you always need stable pillars on your fantasy team, especially at the wide receiver position. If you're playing in like three wide receiver leagues, because it, it, there's so much variability whenever you get to those wide receiver three, uh, you know, ADP targets, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. with some of these, um, some of these young guys that it, it, typically doesn't result in usable fantasy assets it is the way that I found it whenever I looked back at the wide receiver data for
0: this fantasy season. Oh, I love that. I love that. Love having you on, man. That was so much fun. <laughs> um Okay. I have a lot here because I also was going, I have a wide receiver lesson in here that involves a lot of the same type of thinking to, to think about the age factor first i want to go back to to the main thesis here of there's still value in the older guys and i totally agree i mean we we both love the the ringer uh podcast networks right so the ringer yeah. fantasy football show this year was very much in on the old guys right that was their theme Um, right. i i did that in some places and also you, you talk about running backs i was a uh a victim of the Aaron Jones season this year—that was a bummer. Yeah, it um, was a painful one. To get to but on the on the wide receivers and not talk about my own fantasy team all night. Um, here is here here is where my concern because yeah, I mean these guys finish our, our wide receiver one finishes on the season. When you're thinking about this, come draft next season, or come time to make some trades, how would you factor in? Because I still think there's evidence, at least from this year, so one year sample size, of late season injuries, right? When you're making that playoff push, when you're in the playoffs, when you're in the championship. Because you look at the, some of these receivers that you mentioned, Tyreek Hill, for example, right? He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine top 12 finishes through week 13. And then he finished outside, uh, he finished uh, his final four games where uh, he missed week 15 with an injury. He finished at wide receiver 37, 25, 32, and 14. And it's it, it it's a lot of the same for, for a lot of these guys. Stephon Diggs had a handful of wide receiver one finishes uh, at the beginning of the season. They had their bye week. Now, I mean, Stefan Diggs specifically, oh, we don't 100% know how much of that was uh, personality, injury, uh, feelings hurt, whatever, what have you. But outside of the top 29 for the last five weeks of the season, and most of those were outside of the top 40, 45, uh, Keenan Allen got hurt you know and and maybe if justin herbert was healthy he might have played in some of those games but he didn't play the last four games of the season devontae adams uh last five games of the year he had two top 12 finishes so that was good kind of his up and down throughout the year but wide receiver 43 115 and 21 in three of those five weeks mike evans he had you know pretty much his usual boom bust um calvin ridley was up and down all year You mentioned Travis Kelsey. I know it was a disappointing Travis Kelsey year throughout the year, but in particular, uh, he had a very rough stretch in weeks 15, 16, 17. So how would you, A, do you think that is something to monitor for next year? Do you consider that in the realm of like injury, flukiness kind of thing? Or B, if you think it is real, how would you maybe weigh that come draft time or trade time next year during the fantasy season?
1: You know, that's a really good question. I mean, like with a guy like Diggs, um, I, I would say that, you know, he might be the exception of the rule because I'm convinced that there's like some weird cold weather stuff going on with him because last year the same thing happened yep. to him and it, there was some snow games involved mm-hmm. in those last few weeks and he mm-hmm. was terrible in the fantasy playoffs. So, but with, with these other guys, I, I do think there is something to the injury portion of it, especially with the guys that like, you know, you look at a, Tyreek Hill, for instance, and a I guess you could say, um, let me look up the other. I guess you could say maybe a Devonte Adams or or even Keenan Allen. Um, some of it is, I guess, with in the case of Keenan, for instance, like the Justin Herbert injury, I would argue might have something to do with yeah. um, him either a not being available or b you know not necessarily having the same production or involvement as he usually does because if we're, if they were being honest with themselves and in a way they did this last season too if i remember whenever he was injured they kind of played it safe with him knowing that his age is you know getting to a point where it's approaching it, it first off it's past the cliff at this point yeah. but it's also <laughs> like getting to the real cliff for some of the elite, elite guys like the, you know, the Julios and, you know, even the, I guess you could say like the Andre Johnson's where they get to like age 32 and it mm-hmm. really falls off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with guys like that, I think it's more just load management, which obviously has become more of a thing in the game. Even a guy like Tyreek. I mean, it, yep. it, they might have been. I don't want to say saving him for the playoffs. Maybe he was saving himself for the playoffs mm-hmm. a little bit. That mm-hmm. that could have something to do with it. Um, I, It is something to consider because it, if that's going to be the case, we have to find ways to prepare for it or adapt in the moment if these guys are on our team. And I think that mm-hmm. if if you want to, I think that it is smart to maybe try and get off of these guys. Not, not like sell just for the sake of selling, yeah. but if you're able to pivot off of these guys for – a a guy who is a certified you know high target share type of Mm -hmm. wide receiver like if if you wanted to pivot off of i i I guess maybe i forget if keenan was healthy right before most fantasy trade deadlines but if you wanted to pivot off of keenan allen for a nico collins plus Mm -hmm. i think that you probably could have done that or even like maybe even a tyree kill for a you know it, it sounds crazy, but like in retrospect, really wasn't that crazy. Like, you could have done a Tyreek for Puka swap, uh-huh, and uh-huh. it would have been justified, you yeah. know. So, yep. I, I think there's a lot of you know that gets into looking up matchups and schedule planning and things like yeah. that because you have to have the schedule data. But I don't think it's a terrible idea to possibly consider some of these old guys as uh trade away targets. Yeah uh it come week, I believe it's what week twelve, week mm-hmm. nah, maybe mm-hmm. like week eleven is usually the uh mm-hmm. trade deadline mm-hmm. for a lot of for a lot of leagues.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean oh gosh. And and you gotta have you gotta have like the stones to do it too, right? Like you've been riding this guy through the whole part. year. It's it's tough. And and I think this year we get to because of the elevated defenses throughout the year this year. We start. We started seeing the trend last year um, with, with the too high stuff, but that was more like, okay, preventative, we're going to take away the deep stuff, and then receivers and, and quarterbacks in the passing game started to figure itself out. But this year defenses were really on the attack and were so stifling throughout the year. So between that and then you, you mentioned Stephon Diggs in the weather. I mean, just in general, as the weather gets colder, the running games become more important for team to team. So maybe it's not even – you have to trade away with that receiver. But let's say you take a receiver in round one and you don't prioritize a running back or you're in a one QB league and you're not prioritizing quarterback. Maybe it means, hey, you keep that receiver, but you be aggressive at the trade deadline if you didn't hit a mid-round guy one of these other positions. Go get somebody else that's going to fortify your team, right? Don't don't think you're going to ride on the back of the Tyree Kill 22 points a game from weeks one to nine when it comes to playoff time and it's it's colder you're running the ball more ball security is more of a thing um maybe you're uh in a better position from a playoff perspective so you're not you know being as aggressive on offense um there's a lot of factors that go into that so with these receivers especially the older ones you know i'm sure if we we looked at enough of the wide receiver ones and twos we'd find some young guys that tailed off by the end of the year but maybe just in general that's a good like if you if you if your team is made on the back of receivers, especially if you went like one, two, or something like that, right? Try to fortify and find some balance when you get towards the trade deadline, or have that in mind when you draft. Maybe don't go receiver one, two. Maybe go wide receiver, or running back. Maybe go back receiver. Right. However, it works out for your team based on right. where you draft.
1: Right, and, and I think it's also like last thing I'll say about it is, I mean, maybe it's you know going back to try and identify who where you should trade you know, the wide receiver two in your league and also like what you should be trading for. I mean, another thing you might want to look for is like with, with the higher volume of the running game in the later part of the season, like pay attention to those trends and, and try and identify the, the teams that still have those preseason expectations of what their offense is built off of, for instance, like the Mm -hmm. chiefs. Mm-hmm. The Chief, I don't think people really realized how run heavy the chiefs were mm-hmm. until it was already in your fantasy playoffs by mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if you're able to really pay attention to what the teams are doing in the middle of the season and how a, like how efficient they are in both the passing and the run game and b what is typically resulting in them winning games, especially with the winning teams. Like it, mm-hmm. more often than not, this is not like necessarily fantasy uh, analysis. This is more just like, team psychology Mm -hmm. is that whenever teams discover a winning formula they tend to do that more and more and more as the season goes on yep yep so so with with, you know with the Chiefs and with the even I would say the I guess maybe even the Ravens like the Ravens started running the ball a lot Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. second half of the season as well um even the uh I I mean
0: the bills too, right? The bills that we were talking yeah, about, Stephon Diggs kind of falling up. Bills, James Cook, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so pay attention to those trends towards the end of the year as well. Uh Which yeah, I mean, I that. that that requires a lot of legwork, but like that's honestly that typically is the teams that are going to go further in the fantasy playoffs is the people who do the work, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: If you're listening to this podcast and you listen to this, even this episode this long, you're you're probably watching most of these games, anyways. But I love that, like. Because when you were watching the Chiefs at the beginning of the year and and you were really watching it, you were, like, kicking yourself. You're like, run the ball more, run the ball more. These teams in the first half of the season, especially the good ones, yeah, they're feeling things out, man. They're like, is Sky Moore going to be a player? Can MVS come up in the big moments, right? Do we have anything in this third-string tight end? They're figuring stuff out. The Chiefs are a great example because as you watch, the targets and the snaps – and the the handoff, like everything that touches narrows through that funnel, right? And it's it becomes this three man show of Pacheco, Travis Kelsey, and Rashi Rice. And that is it. Right. Yeah. So if you're yeah. if you're watching in week four and you're like, man, the only time this Chiefs offense looks good is when it goes to one of those three guys. Yeah, write that, write that down. Make those guys yeah. your trade targets for the second half of the season because that's when if you have Devontae Adams, maybe he falls off, but you you traded for Isaiah Pacheco. And now in December, you're you're hitting. Um, yeah, so I love that. Yeah.
1: Even guys like you know like Jameer Gibbs, for instance, who like you know mm-hmm. you you look towards mm-hmm. teams that like where the Lions were relatively pass heavy and David Montgomery heavy in the first half of the year, but as mm-hmm. the year went on, they really really started to involve Jameer Gibbs um, in that offense. So it just pay attention to things like that. That'll that'll help you be able to pivot off these older wide receivers. I think quicker than they expire. If that's yeah. the best way I can say it,
0: yeah, I love that. And you know, you mentioned Jameer Gibbs reminded me of the the young guy point. I know I'm I'm such a fan of that. Like mid round in the draft, do like two rounds in a row of dart throws just on on names from the draft, yeah. right? And on one hand, I hope that helps me from too much tinkering with my lineup, right? Because then it's just like I got this young guy sitting there for a while. Whether you do that or you just comp- if you're if you're like I'm just not gonna take those flyers or i'll just wait till the last two picks and just just throw one up why like you're you're saying watch the games figure out like okay is jameer gibbs starting to get more of a role or is kyron williams starting to take off more right just find those rookies that are okay this guy's on the field more at least right and and then maybe you can buy low on him if he hasn't been productive yet meanwhile you've saved a draft pick so uh, i i like everything you said there with that one um Let's hit my let's hit my first lesson because it is wide receiver focused. And it's funny because I I wrote this one down and it's when I initially wrote it down, it was completely opposite of what I ended up doing because then I started <laughs> looking at the numbers and I was like, wow, I that I was completely wrong on this. So this year, as everybody knows, we had I think it was officially the most quarterbacks Either start a game or take a snap, throw a pass, whatever, whichever metric they ended up using. Sixty-seven different quarterbacks started a game this year. Not just came in, not just did relief, not just took the kneel down. Sixty-seven different quarterbacks started a game this season. And so in my head, I was like, okay, what's the what was the fantasy impact of that? Right? I'm sure there are guys that were able to weather the storm through that. Right? We had. We, I'm sure there are guys that are so elevated at receiver that it doesn't matter who their quarterback is. That's not true. (laughs) Like, it it matters, man. If you got a bad backup or a guy you don't know or a mid-round rookie just getting thrown in there, yeah, figure out something else with your wide receiver. Honestly, the inspiration of this you mentioned was Mike Evans because it was like Baker Mayfield came in. The guy was, you know, a top 10 wide receiver on the season. It's like, does quarterback matter? You look at some of these backups that end up playing and Baker looks like Patrick Mahomes. Here, here, I, I wanted to take a sample size just of the top 12 receivers, right? So our wide receiver ones on the year. One, two, three, four, five of them had multiple games where their starting quarterback didn't play. And, and now Devonta Adams is on this list. I'm considering uh, AOC, Aiden O'Connell, his starting quarterback, right? Sure. So those five receivers, Puka Nakua. DJ Moore, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Nico Collins. Five guys, top 12 receivers, had multiple games with backup quarterbacks. They had, between them, 10, 23 top 12 finishes as a starter. Or with their starter, I should say. They had to combine two top 12 finishes with their backup in the game. That is... Sta- I mean staggering, man. Yeah, that like yeah. that is that is rough. And and you know, we're we were just talking about receiver, right? And if you're like, I'm gonna take a receiver first round because like no matter what happens, this is gonna be great. Jamar Chase played, what was it, 10, 10 games with Burrow, seven with whoever their backup was. I don't remember yeah. the guy. Thank you. Uh one top 12 finish with him. Now, Jamar Chase again, like he dealt with injuries on the back half of the year, but he played most of the games. And you would think a guy that good, that supremely talented, who was this was supposed to be the year he finished as a top two, three, one wide receiver and mustered one top 12 finish. Right. So in a year with all these backup quarterbacks that played and, and, and luckily, you know, we're, we're past the like, Oh, like the the COVID season where you never know when a backup is going to have to play. But man, re- just remember next year. And, and we're saying this, our first two lessons are about wide receivers, wide receivers, even the best ones are not foolproof. So make sure you're, you're, uh putting packing tape around those guys right throw packing peanuts in there on your team because if a backup quarterback goes in i mean we saw with these guys like you might have to actually consider like benching a wide receiver one in a game that has a you know a really bad quarterback and you hate to do that cuz you would hate for there there's almost the idea of like the, the backup quarterback is going to target the best guy so many times, right? Because he's not that good. So it's like drop back and just look at that guy. And we saw that a little bit, right? Devontae Adams early in the Aiden O'Connell experience was getting fed. DeAndre Hopkins, the first couple Will Levis games. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Adam Thielen, week three with Andy Dalton, 11 catches, right. 145 yards and a touchdown. Like, whoa, what is going on? But for the most part, man, even, the, even these top receivers on the fantasy season, I'm sure if you dove into like – some of the wide receiver twos, some of the wide receiver threes, they're not too impacted, right? They're gonna get their eight to ten points. But these top level guys are still so impacted by who their quarterback is. And it's not just whether you have a good backup in or not. Like if your if your backup is coming in, these guys uh it, it might be a tough week for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, one thing that I can take away from that particular point is that Really having, and you said it, having the stones to bench a guy when you you really are trying to rely so heavily on the volume of targets and the volume mm-hmm. of looks that they are willing to get from even a backup quarterback. And like the prime the prime example of that is Garrett Wilson, because when when Rodgers went down, I think what we all tried to convince ourselves was this. Wide receiver is too good of an NFL player and too good of an athlete to where he is he is going to get open more often than not enough to where even a backup quarterback can get the ball to him on a semi regular basis. And so for a long time, I, I think that we still treated Garrett Wilson as a wide receiver too a lot of weeks, <laughs> mm-hmm. and therefore because he was treated that way he was probably still in your lineup for a lot of a lot of the season Mm -hmm. and i don't think it was until i mean i I, probably it was way too late in the season for you to finally realize that you probably need to stop starting garrett wilson regularly if you even have a a reliable wide receiver three option that you can throw in there and I, i think that there are a couple more examples. Um, I'm not going to try and, you know, think of them off the top of my head right now, but I know but for a fact one. that it yeah. happened, but that's yeah. like the number one example that I can think yep. of that kind of, uh, you know, tags onto your point that you were trying to make about when these backup quarterbacks come in, we, we just have to completely pivot off these guys in almost every case. There are some exceptions to the rule um, as you mentioned a couple, but in most cases you want to try and find solutions outside of those guys for the rest of the year whenever that happens
0: yeah and i I was trying to look at some of the mid-tier guys too right to to try and understand the volatility of it so i looked at like tyler lockett and dk metcalf with drew lock right and they weren't they weren't too far off of their of their average but it was also like when it comes to really thinking about next year right yeah you're am i going to be worried about the guy that i thought was going to be my wide receiver two or three going into the season or maybe in the case of a DK Metcalf, you thought he could be a wide receiver one and then four weeks in, you're like, OK, I know what this offense is. He's not going to be quite that. And does that really impact you when, you when you got a backup quarterback? Not really, right? But the these wide receiver ones where it's like, again, your first round pick, the guy carrying your team, the one guy who's putting up the 18 to 22 points a game that you can just mail in, right, and, and count on every single week. That backup quarterback comes in. the The DJ Moore one uh, was the most stark yeah. when Tyson Bagent played, uh, yeah. mostly because it was right in the middle of the season and it was like five games in a row, right? So you look, you look, and it's like all these like double digit points, and right. like every other week there's a, a top twelve finish, and then five weeks of just like dead air, just nothing right. going on, and then right. another six weeks of like the uh, you know good stuff happening. And right. it's just like, oh my gosh! The, even yeah. this guy who was a wide receiver too with the Baker Darnold, PJ Walker trio last year, um, just like this, this real legitimate actual backup. And I mean that in a negative sense comes in. Yeah. And right, nothing, right, right,
1: right. No disrespect to Tyson Bajan, but yes, right. yeah, of course, not. yeah, he's not a starter in this league. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, even with DJ Moore, I mean, like that—that's a little bit harder of a a situation because we knew that fields wasn't out for the remainder of the year. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to have the self-discipline to take that month or so that he Mm -hmm. was out and say, I I just cannot play DJ more for this period of time. Although I I mean, I really want to, because like I said, it it usually takes like a recalibration period for us to realize that it can't do it with this other guy. It it usually takes like two or three weeks of stinkers for us to finally, you know, admit to ourselves that he is, not going to be the same level of receiver from a production standpoint as he is with the starter i mean like a guy like dj moore i mean he finished at uh, even with the tyson page in five weeks that he was out i believe he finished as like wide receiver hold on i
0: just i had, had six up. from fantasy pros i had six wide receiver six in in standard formats
1: Yes. So yeah, in half PPR formats he was mm-hmm. wide receiver six still, even with that five uh week stretch. So but at the same time, the that five week stretch could be the difference in your you know, your record being right. yeah. You know, uh let's just say nine and I'm trying to think how many weeks are in a fantasy season now. <laughs> like yeah. whatever it is, nine and seven or maybe not seven, nine and five versus like
0: six and I literally five and nine, six and eight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, like that's a huge difference, especially when it comes to like, you know, making it to the playoffs. Like if you have a wide receiver two, like, or well, I know DJ Moore was finished as wide receiver six, but for a lot of people, he was their wide receiver Mm -hmm. two for the most part. That's not where he was And so like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And and if you, at that point in the season, he's probably your wide receiver one. And if you're still playing him every week, you're, you're more than likely losing those matchups based on variance. So,
0: so tough man it's so tough wide receiver in, in in an nfl where the high level of the receiver talent and then you go to the draft and it's like you're like the, the nfl draft and you're like you can get guys in the mid rounds and all of this stuff and it's still just so it's so dependent on so many factors and and yeah so be be careful with your receivers that's what you get from our first two lessons here um peyton let's move to our next one what's your next lesson from the season
1: Sure, I, I think we've talked enough about receivers. We are going to talk about a different kind of pass catcher here, though. Uh, I want Ooh. to move to the tight end position, and I, I've got a tight end one
0: also. This is great. What my you got?
1: my lesson. I, I like how we're pairing these two up. Uh, I <laughs> my lesson for the tight end position is that the tight end position, for now, has changed for the better, and I, it sounds kind of whack because a lot of people <laughs> love having the elite like Kelsey seasons, uh-huh. you know at what for seemed like for forever yep. um and this was the first year that it was not the kelsey that we're used to from a production standpoint obviously he he still is a the best tight end in the league i think that mm-hmm. everybody can agree but it was not the same you know 15 fantasy points per game that we're used to right. um so to start off just to give a recap of like how the tight end position played out this year the top four tight ends in adp were Travis Kelsey Mark Andrews, George Kittle and TJ Hawkinson. So it but it, on the season from a points per game standpoint, all those guys finished in I believe it was like the top six tight ends so they all mm-hmm. had really good seasons. Um, so there, there was no disappointments really at the top, which traditionally there have been. there's yep. been like at least one or two of those guys that's like holy cow he had a terrible season mm-hmm. even even Kittle had a, a really bad season a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. where he disappointed people from an ADP standpoint. Um, but the the thing is that although they had good seasons, they were not difference makers at the position from a sense of they they were a tier above the players that were directly below them. And, and there wasn't this wide chasm as there has been from the top elite tight ends versus the, you know, tight end seven and below, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, or maybe maybe a little bit lower. But some, some of the things I looked at, I, I just went and looked at this year compared to last year, and even that showed a little bit of a stark difference because tight end is not like running back and wide receiver where there are many individuals who are relevant. I mean, you only start one on your team. So right. really, right. It, it, you have to kind of calibrate this from a sense of there's less of these guys. Therefore, even if it might be a small change in the amounts, imagine it being times two or times three for another position. Um, and, and so I, with last year's tight ends, I, I looked at how many uh were scoring eight or more half PPR points per game. And in 2022, we had nine of those guys. So nine on a consistent basis, usable tight ends. I mean, and even then it was pretty like once you get, when you get the tight end nine, it's still pretty rough. Like, you're you're still flirting around with the you know col of last year. Cole Komet had a good season mm-hmm. this year, but last year's col Komet was even like mm-hmm. on the border there. Mm-hmm. And you did not want to be starting col Komet every week. Uh, whereas this year there were 12 of those guys that were scoring eight points per game or more in half PPR, which I know it's only 3 more, but that's a huge difference because yeah. that that means that there you know that's 12 tight ends that in most leagues are going to be 10 or 12 people so theoretically speaking every team on average probably had a guy who was scoring them at least eight points per game throughout the entire season Uh, of course there's probably teams that had multiple tight ends you know one on their bench or something in that case but that that's not something we're used to uh at the tight end position so it, it seemed like a lot of people were having to stream less tight ends this year including myself i mean i mm-hmm. think i mm-hmm. i typically if i do not find like that value tight end target that i like i i usually end up streaming tight ends and i'm I, this year was one of the few years where i remember i wasn't constantly looking for a tight end every other week to start yep. um and it, it just further uh going into like the scoring averages as far as like the elite tier wide receivers last year, uh, like I said, there was a chasm that was apparent. Last year, we had those four. I believe it was Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, Hawkinson, I want to say mm-hmm. uh, in 2022. Four tight ends scored 10 or more points per mm-hmm. game in half PPR. Mm-hmm. And this past year, we had seven of those guys. So, like, there, there's such a clear difference in the amount of I, it's not even difference makers, it's just high quality starting tight ends in the league that garner enough uh looks and targets that they're able to do something with it. I mean, it, it, you look at a lot of the young emerging tight ends which is a big reason for this uh if I'm being honest. So like obviously mm-hmm. we had tight end 1 uh on the season Sam LaPorta. I mean, it mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. expect we expected him if you, you know, if you were a draft guy and you're, you know, you know a little bit about college, you expected him to be a Good, reliable producer, but nothing like nothing even close to what he provided yep. this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, past, past him, you have guys like Dalton Kincaid, even Cole Komet uh, finally has kind of come on, and he's still
0: only, I believe, 24, mm-hmm. I want to say. Mm-hmm and yeah, so he just got his extension last offseason yep
1: yeah yeah and i mean there there's been a couple of younger guys who have come on even like isaiah likely in mark Andrews' absence ha- has provided some mm-hmm. good scoring weeks for fantasy football and uh, jake ferguson another one uh, oh, I, I, yeah. there's a couple more but uh, jake ferguson. Mm-hmm. but with with that said i mean I, all those tight ends uh six tight ends 24 or younger had at least uh five targets per game so, so you had a lot of these younger tight ends getting consistent volume, and, and that's what led to the floor of the position getting raised and having guys that are more reliable on a week-to-week basis. And, and then the other thing that changed, I mean, obviously, was uh, the, the, just the lack of the dominance of Travis Kelsey in this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we're ever going to get back to Kelsey getting mm-hmm. 15 points per game. He might get mm-hmm. closer to like 12. I, mm-hmm. I, I I would be surprised if that happens, but mm-hmm. I don't think that same chasm from tight end one to tight end two is ever going to happen with Travis Kelsey in particular. It might happen with another player in the future, but for the time being, I mean, last year uh, he had 15.4 points per game and a half PPR. And Ted, tight end two last year, which I believe was TJ Hawkinson, uh, had 11.4 points per game, quite literally a four-point swing, which – I mean, that's, you know, 40 yards difference on a game-to-game basis or however you want to break it down yep. still. That's a ginormous advantage at the tight end position. Whereas this year, uh, Sam Laporta tight end one was 11.5 points per game and then tight end two, who actually was Travis Kelsey, uh, 11.4 points per game. So quite quite literally the same, practically the same exact production on a points-per-game uh, standpoint. So because of that lack of the positional advantage, it, it – almost equals the playing field from a sense of we're getting back. I think we're really getting back to the tight end position being almost how it was in the, I don't want to say the, the genesis of fantasy football because fantasy football has been around for a long time, but really (laughs) it's getting back to how I remember it when I, when I first Mm -hmm. started playing fantasy football Mm -hmm. and it seemed like every, I mean like half the leagues tight ends were really productive. I mean, even when you go, you know, you think about like the Dallas Clarks, Tony Gonzalez, Jeremy Shockey, you know, Chris Cooley, I, I can go on Antonio. Mm-hmm, G- like mm-hmm, they all existed mm-hmm. at the same time. And I think mm-hmm. we might be getting to a point where we are going to have these stable tight ends who are in the league simultaneously and cons- and providing a high level of production to the point where I-, I don't think tight end streaming is going to be as prevalent as it has been for what seems like the last six or seven years.
0: I love this. I love that. My, my, mine. Uh, all I literally wrote down was tight ends are good again. Um, it's fun. It's cool. It's, it's it's fantastic because last, actually, just last year, one year ago, on this podcast, I had Brandon Tim on at the time, and my final lesson was the tight end position should be no more in fantasy. I was done with it. I <laughs> I lobby to have it removed from my longtime league because yeah, like you're saying, like we had Travis Kelsey just like uh, destroying the position. And it was almost like, well, if I can't have Travis Kelsey, why do I even want to do it? And then do I really want to spend a first round pick to get Travis Kelsey? Cause that's what it was taking. Um, and now you not only, like you said, do you not have that gap? So you have actually have a little bit of, you know, like, not just like I'm trying to win every week. Right. Which is obviously what you're doing, but also just like you're, you're, Talking trash with your friends, which is what fantasy is about. And it's like, oh, like I can actually get a tight end that's better. Oh, you reach for – you you got Travis Kelsey in the second round. I'm going to get, you know, Hawkinson in the third round, blah, blah, whatever it is. Um, We also just saw guys, I think, become a little more consistent this year. Like the fact that we got a second good Evan Ingram season in a row, oh, even yeah. despite the weirdness that was in Jack's vote, now you're just like, oh, okay, so Evan Ingram is just a guy I should draft and right. be, be on my team next year until – it, it falls off, right? Um, right? David Njoku had his most consistent solid season from start to finish despite having 17 different quarterbacks, some of which weren't even playing football in the month of October this year, right? Um, right. The, the Dallas Cow right, Dalton Sh- – the fact that – and I love this – Dalton Schultz and Jake Ferguson finishing as I think both essentially tight end ones, if not just right on the border there. Um yeah. yeah with, you know, Schultz leaves the Cowboys and the Cowboys just have another dude just pop up, right? Cut off right, one or two more right. Back. Also, you know, way to go, Jerry Jones on the second round pick of um Schoonmaker. Schoonmaker, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right. Um meanwhile, where was Pender shot this year? I don't anyways, I don't need we don't need to get into that right now. Yeah, uh yeah. that was a whole thing. Um yeah. Taysom Hill this year even like felt right? like it like he wasn't the butt of the joke anymore. Like it wasn't it, the the analogy I made was like the, the person at last call at the bar that you were like, okay, fine, right? This Or like at the wedding, right? Like the last song is coming on. Like, okay, this will be the person this time. I picked up Taysom Hill in like week seven, and he was just my starter for the rest of the year. And I was like, you know right. what? This is fine. It, it just got normal. And I wonder – not to, you know, sound like old people and like tie this all back to defense, but like, is there something to that, right? Is there something to, hey, we just gotta dump the ball off? We just gotta find the guy in the middle of the zone right now. Um I I have I've hated, but it's also gotten better this year, the use of like the tight end screens, right? We had those couple years where everyone tried to mimic the Travis Kelsey stuff and it was horrible. And this year it's like, oh, Dalton Kincaid. Like that, that was what the bill's plan for him was for six right. weeks right and now it's like a thing that can actually be used because we're doing more with it right so as these guys also just get better we're seeing tight end screens at least off of the line of scrimmage right not not like i un- under and in between seven uh arms of 300 pound people so i love yeah. that um and and you mentioned all the young guys right we didn't even see all the young tight ends that we saw flashes of right we because we, we know Tight end traditionally takes longer to develop as an NFL player, right? Because you're learning to block, you're learning to catch, you're learning to run rounds at an NFL level. You're learning a lot of stuff. Meanwhile, we saw, uh, obviously, Sam Laporta just blow up, go off. We saw Tucker Craft, in the middle of the season, become tight end one for Green Bay. And this was a guy that was like a – he's like – 70% 70% blocker, 30% receiver right now, but he's got the athleticism to improve that. and it took him like 6 weeks to become a productive receiving tight end. Meanwhile, Luke Musgrave is going to be back next year. He started playing again, blah blah blah. Right. Michael Myers, whatever whatever the whatever the <laughs> Raiders are going to do this season, like my man is going to do something next year because he had his moments. Uh right. maybe this will be the year for Kyle. So we we have right, right. we have hope. We have young guys to point to. We obviously have Brock Bowers coming next year, so like just like yep. take another one off, and we had a year of guys that were inconsistent becoming consistent. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot I like about this, and and look, just one year swing. Um, so now I'm gonna end up drafting two tight ends, and tight ends are gonna be horrible again next year, <laughs> but it's it's totally fine. Uh, it'll I, work out.
1: I I do think that you know a point that you said is just that it's a known factor that tight end is typically the slowest developing offensive skill player position in the NFL. And so I think that may, it could be that this was just a a big coincidence in the timing of the NFL that we just happen to have these rookies and sophomores that just happened to have developed quicker at the position or not, all of a sudden uh, producers at the position that also lined up with some of the high drafted prospects also finally kind of getting, uh, to the point where they, they, they seem like they've fully developed. I mean, like, you know, Comet Ingram and Njoku were all kind of uh, still mm-hmm. in that where we've considered them young and still, um, it could be developing, but we kind of needed to see something from them. On, mm-hmm. I mean, Ingram of course had a good season last year, but, um, he's been known to be super inconsistent, but those three guys in particular stand out to me from uh, guys who were younger who haven't yet proven themselves that finally kind of did so this year. And pairing that with a lot of the younger guys—I mean, like we didn't even mention like Trey McBride, who right? finally, mm-hmm. who, who finally is was able to get on the field and get a lot of snaps and did a lot with it whenever he was finally given them. Um, that we we have this meshing of early producers and tight ends who have finally developed happening simultaneously. And and what I hope is that that continues in the next year. I don't really see any stopping of it because I I would think that if these teams find producers this early at that position, they are more than likely going to continue to use them in this following seasons. So it it is really exciting uh, to finally have the position almost feel stabilized for the first time in a really long time.
0: The the last thing I'll say on it is the way you were able to just, like, throw back to the 2000s, right, and rattle off, like, eight names in a row. That was not a place we have been at for the last five years with the no. tight end position, <laughs> at least in terms of naming good tight ends. I <laughs> in fantasy. Now we can do it. Right now right. we could do it again. We right. could sit here, and, yeah, you could line up everybody in your league, you know, for the most part. You know, every couple of sure. leagues, you got the one guy that's not too- – but – and you could say – Name a tight end you're going to put on your team. Boom, boom. And you can go down the line, you could actually think of 12 dudes right off the bat. So I I love that.
1: Because even for a while there, I mean, like, even in the early to mid-2010s, I mean, it was still like that with the gronk Jimmy Graham, Greg Olsen Mm -hmm. era, where, Mm -hmm. like, guys past that, it was like, good luck. I mean, you might have, you know, Vernon Davis was kind of hanging around a little bit, Mm -hmm. and then you had, Mm -hmm. like, the one-off Jordan Reed seasons, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't (laughs) anything past, like, the top-tier guys even before Kelsey, um, mm-hmm. that that provided the stability that it seems like we might be finally getting back to.
0: I love it. All right, so that was that was one of mine as well talking about tight end. So we had a good tight end conversation. So I'm just going to hit you with my final one now, um, sure. and then you'll you'll come to me with your last one after that. This one is is pretty obvious, but I, I tried to give us another layer of it that that'll make it a little interesting. I'm interested to hear your take. So here it is. Christian McCaffrey is back. By Mm -hmm. the way, just like, let me confirm this for just in case you weren't paying attention this season, just in case you weren't sure. Christian McCaffrey is back. Done are the two years where it was just like, oh my gosh, Christian McCaffrey is no more. He'll never, he's back. And then also spinning this into something that is a broader conversation. Can you trust the 49ers offense again? Because I don't know about you, Payton, but there were a couple of years there where it was the, the peak Jimmy years, the peak. You know, no running back one turning into Debo is kind of our running back. Also, we have this guy, Brandon Ayuk who does stuff. You mentioned George Kittle earlier, right? We have the years where him and Jimmy are really on it. We have years where there's nothing going on with George Kittle until the last four weeks of the season, um, which was the only way. He was a top five tight end last year, by the way. And now it feels like Chris McCaffrey came in and just like, Everything fell into place. Everybody is the ceiling of what they could be. Because because Shanahan before, the way I felt, was a little how people felt about Arthur Smith this year. It was like, I can't trust that the good players are going to do what I expect them to do week after week. So I just compared this to last year. I wanted to pull up top 12 finishes for for the the main five guys, right? Um, McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle. I, I included some of Jimmy G in here as well. So I'm just going to give you those comparisons. So in 2022, top 12 finishes by these guys. McCaffrey had nine. Debo had two. Some of that was injury. Ayuk had four. Kittle had seven. Purdy and Jimmy G combined for seven. All right. Those same guys in 2023. McCaffrey went from nine to 12. Debo went from two to six. Ayuk stayed at four both times. Kittle went from seven to nine. And Purdy slash Jimmy G went from seven to nine for Purdy this year. Overall rank. McCaffrey two to one, Debo 37 to 15, Ayuk 15 to 14. Kittle actually went down a little three to five. Again, he had those explosive last four weeks last year. And then Jimmy G, I, I took his average because of the whole, you know, when he got benched and injured and everything. He was the 19th quarterback on average last year. Purdy this year total finished eighth. So Christian McCaffrey's back, dominant, should be the number one pick in every single league next year. And now just overall, is this 49ers offense just like a, almost like a fully stackable offense, it, but also just, can you just trust week after week? I know I'm getting in Debo. I know I'm getting IU, Kittle, all these guys.
1: So, uh, you know, the two things that very clearly were the big variables in the difference between those two things were... I mean, obviously, the addition of Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I think that that's, that's a foregone conclusion that he changed what this 49ers offense is. And uh, secondly, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to turn this into like a Brock Purdy conversation. By Let's do it. Let's do it. But, <laughs> but do it. Dig but, in. Um, but what Purdy has been able to do differently than Jimmy G is G- Jimmy G consistently, while he was a a I guess you could call an accurate in the short area of the field. What he lacked was a willingness to push the ball downfield on a mm-hmm. consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And he he also lacked the ability to to be a better game decision maker, like mm-hmm. in-game decision maker. And mm-hmm. while that doesn't really like while that doesn't really have a huge impact from a fantasy points uh you know standpoint it affects game flow in a way yep. that for Jimmy G who I, I have never been a proponent of. Um, I I've never, I never understood the fascination that Kyle Shannon and how would Jimmy G to begin with. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I, I, I think it took me a long time to come around on Brock Purdy. Um, I finally have a little bit. And I, one thing I've noticed that Brock Purdy has been able to do better is man, it just a lot more of the taking what's, what's given. In mm-hmm. the Shanahan scheme, mm-hmm. and just not turning the ball over as much. Granted, yep. he he does try his best to sometimes, <laughs> um, yep. and people yep. just don't catch them. But uh-huh. Uh-huh. but he he does try. He, he does turn the ball over less, and what that does is it provides longer drives typically, which results typically in more fantasy points because you, you're able to sustain uh, more yardage gains then i mean you have to push you somebody has to progress the ball down the field and more often than not it's going to be either mccaffrey running the ball or a screen pass to Debo, or what we've seen this year more than any year uh finally is somebody who can give uh, somebody who can deliver the ball deep to brandon iuk on a semi-accurate basis Mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. having any kind of hesitation. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, and, and really George Kittle too. I, I mean, because mm-hmm. as great as George Kittle is in the short area, he's also a downfield threat as well. Yep. Um, yep. So so I, I think that the biggest factor in that regard for a lot of the pass catchers is just the difference between what Jimmy G was as a quarterback versus Brock Purdy uh, and the quarterback he's become in such a short amount of time.
0: Yeah, exactly. A- 100%. I- Purdy, and, and and this is, you know, it, it is a well-timed conversation. Obviously, Pur- Purdy is always in the discourse of, of people in the NFL media because of the good or not good situation. But we're having the specific conversation this week and a half about, oh, is he a game manager or not? And I never understood where the game manager thing came from for Brock Purdy other than he was small and slow. Um because those those couple games last year, and the reason why I wasn't in on him last year, and I'm sure it's the same reasons you weren't in on him last year, was because he was doing Iowa State stuff, right? In the N- which <laughs> wasn't even that good at Iowa State. In the NFL, it was like, right. I don't see anything in one second. I'm gonna spin to my blind side, to my left, and get out of the pocket and reset and try to. So- Wait, there's a 300 pound dude who runs a four foot four four foot eight a four eight that's going to hit me instead now i can't do that and 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 this year he's learned to balance that a little bit better that that i want to be a playmaker but i also now understand my size and speed limitations um so he was never a game he was never a game manager he was always a gamer right he was always a let me go make a play and he's now reined that in and figured it out how to do it and, and to your point on how that affects the receivers yeah now he can extend the play and wait for Ayuk to get open deep right if if you know a, a safety rolls down and and covers kittle on something now that two high look becomes a one high look and it's like oh i can now put the ball in that spot for Ayuk. whereas jimmy g would have thrown the first open read right um debo can do and this like we're blending things here a little bit but now that McCaffrey's in at running back debo's not doing that as much so he can actually be a receiver again and he can get production that way george kittle you said it, he and jimmy g had a great uh, chemistry on those short need immediate stuff. But now we can get Kittle going deep down the field. We have Kittle getting plays on crossers as a tight end, right? And that and 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 post routes and just deep stuff. Stuff that Jimmy G never would have found him on, or, or never would have been able to throw up accurately or throw without getting a turnover. Or by the way, it just couldn't develop downfield because Jimmy G was going to get sacked. So there there's there's so many factors that go into why this offense has filed into place certainly a lot of it is Brock certainly a lot of it and and probably more so has to do with McCaffrey I do wonder if they never traded for McCaffrey and they had to go to Brock Purdy not so much would Brock Purdy have been good although I do also wonder that but the main thing I wonder is how much would Shanahan put the ball in Purdy's hands right would he trust him as much as he does ironically if he didn't have McCaffrey, right? If he didn't have McCaffrey to fall back on or he didn't have McCaffrey to set him up in great spots, would Purdy have to be stuck as a manager? Or would Purdy have made so many mistakes and they didn't have McCaffrey that Shanahan would have been like, dude, I can't play this guy at quarterback anymore? Uh, There's so many sliding door moments with it. But I think overall the lesson is, I think this 49ers offense has fallen into place. And it's why now instead of being a top – 10 offense like they had been the last couple of years. Cause they, I mean, when Jimmy G was playing and healthy, they were still a top 10 offense. They were good. They were service. They're, they're top two offense this year, man. Depending on yeah. whatever you're looking at, they're one or two with the Ravens and everything. And, and I mentioned all these top 12 finishes for these top five guys. And nobody is below 15th ranked on the season at their position. And that's Debo. Meanwhile, Debo and Iuke are both in the top 15 at their position. Um, the, this offense feels like next year when I go to draft, they'd been they had been a no fly zone for me for two three seasons. I'm just not taking any 49ers because I don't know what to expect week to week. I think they're off of that list now. I think I think I think I'm taking their their picture down at the airport and I'm saying I can draft these guys again and and know at their ADP or even above and know what I'm gonna get.
1: Yeah, and, and like you know, harkening back to uh, my first point, like with specifically with a guy like Debo. He, he's getting to the age cliff. I mean, he's 28 now. He's going to mm-hmm. be 29 next season. And, you know, he, he's a prime example of kind of these two points being married together where I, I, I'm also with you where I think we can finally trust the passing game uh, in this 49ers offense I mean obviously the run game was hard to figure out which one it was going to be but now we have a stable force um so so that's kind of resolved itself but with the passing game it seems like we aren't going to have the same issue that we had with Debo Samuel last year going into next year as long as Brock Purdy is there and healthy it seems and so with that being the case like Debo's coming to that age cliff and he's still under contract next year so at least for the for one more year, I, I'm still in on Debo Samuel. So I I think that, and even with a guy like George Kittle, who I mean he's he's still semi young, but he is getting a little mm-hmm. older. He he's not he's he's closer to being Travis Kelsey's age than you might think it, yep. is the way I would say it. Yep. And so, um, but but I do still think that he can be a high end uh, tight end one for at least the next. I think he's under contract for. One or two more years. I'm not sure, but I, mm-hmm. he, he still has a couple more years under contract, and that that's still going to be the length of Purdy's rookie contract, I believe. So mm-hmm. as long as Purdy is there for the next year or two, I, I have no qualms with um, us believing that the 49ers finally have g- g- gained our trust back, I guess the way I would say it
0: top tier fantasy advice, guys, the 49ers are good. Um, that's, that's what you, <laughs> that's, Hashtag what you analysis. That, that's what you come here for. Uh, Peyton, wrap this thing up for us. What is our final lesson? What is your final lesson from the fantasy football season?
1: Yeah. And, and this one is not going to be uh, a ton of like presenting data and such. This is just going to be me talking about wins and losses a little bit, uh, which is, you know, not super that matters. Right, right. You know, <laughs> winning, or losing games. Um, but <laughs> The one thing that has become a very analytical-driven idea in the fantasy community is that volume is king at the running back position, which is true to some extent. Um, but where where I think that point has kind of gotten carried away with, and including myself because I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, researching before drafts and such. And the one thing that I want to come away from this year. Uh, is not falling for the value of starting running backs just because they're going to have a ton of volume. Um, And more specifically, the two situations that I want to avoid are those that are on projected to be losing teams and backfields that have a lot of uncertainty as to who is going to be the bell cow going into them. Um, And the reason why I point those two situations out, it sounds like I like. You know, tried to make a blanket statement there. But uh, the guys that I really looked for uh, it, to make this point go back to first in the first situation with the losing teams, um, with teams that had a projected losing record, uh, a lot of which are running backs that you probably would be surprised that if you, you know, you didn't really think of these guys as running backs who are going to be on losing teams preseason because we we don't really analyze it from that standpoint. We just look at how many carries they're going to get on the season mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how much workload they're going to receive that mm-hmm. they have to produce in some mm-hmm. facet. And so I looked at guys, and you know the first name it is unfortunate because I love this guy, and it, it even happened to some of the higher-draft running backs. Like uh, So first off, B. John Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he was on a Falcons team that was not very good at the offense mm-hmm. while in some advanced you know, metrics was somewhat decent. It, it was not great, mm-hmm. <laughs> as many people would agree. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to list off some guys that, relative to their ADP, underperformed as a result of being on losing teams. And so, you had Bijan Robinson, Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson. Some of these are are going to be like injuries derailed them, but this is really more so from a points per game standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like even in the games that they did play, I, I'm going off of. How the, what they ranked in points per game versus right. ADP, mm-hmm. not total points, just so we're being fair about it. Uh, Miles Sanders, who god, that's like the worst one from this past year, where it was like he he just got this contract, he's gonna get every carry for that <laughs> oh team. My and gosh, Miles Sanders. Uh, oh my yikes! Uh, Alexander Madison, uh, Cam Akers, who that's another kind of like weird yeah. injury mm-hmm. situation, team situation. You know, Kyron kind of took over he was traded yada yada uh Javante Williams uh, Antonio Gibson and then the last one was Khalil Herbert the, those are really the the running backs that going into the season we thought probably were going to be the starters in the bell cows for these teams mm-hmm. um, or at least have a a significant workload mm-hmm. and because of them being on losing teams it's just a matter of the, I mean, obviously game script goes into it where these teams are having to pass the ball a lot more. And if you are not a pass catching heavy back uh, or being utilized as one in Bijan's case, where he's fully capable, but they didn't use him, uh, then you you simply are just not going to be a relevant fantasy producer at the running back position. And then uh, the other half of it was, you know, the uncertain backfields and looking at some of the guys that, I mean, these guys were not super highly drafted, but they were high, drafted high enough to where, you, you definitely could have gotten a depth piece that mattered as opposed to these players who were just completely irrelevant almost the – I don't want to say the entire season, but a lot of it. So, I mean, you have guys like Zach Charbonnet, um, Dalvin Cook, who when he was on the Jets before we knew that Brees Hall was fully healthy, uh, mm-hmm. A.J. Dillon, a- Antonio Gibson again, uh, uh, Khalil Herbert again, uh, any non-DeAndre Swift Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> so uh, – <laughs> Zeke Elliott after he signed with the Patriots and then uh, Mm -hmm. Damian Harris before he got injured with the Buffalo Bills uh, before we realized that James Cook was indeed a bell cow running back so all all those guys who reviewed as hey you might be able to take this guy at a cheaper price than the perceived starter and you might end up having the starter over the majority of the season and all of those guys performed uh, below their ADP on a uh, and in some cases, well below their ADP on a per game basis. So I, I just want us to remember that with these, with the running back position, like, especially these late, I don't want to say late round darlings, but like, in when you get to the like fifth round and some of these middle round guys, it, the one thing you do not want to talk yourself into is I would say volume on most bad teams and that a guy who is, yeah, although there may be talk and chatter in the offseason of a guy splitting work or even being a candidate to take over the job, not just taking that for, you know, at, as gospel. Like, like really pay attention to, you know, how, how a guy from the previous years performed, especially in the case like A.J. Dillon. Like, I think that we – a lot of us probably um, just – we're ready to kind of move on from AJ or er, not AJ Don. ready to move on from Aaron Jones, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. he's getting past that. He's already past the age cliff at this point. He's just right. excelling right. You, right. You know, beyond what we probably could could have guessed, but you know, picking some of these guys, I mean, even in the case of like Zach Charbonnet, like we, I think what we did is we kind of like overanalyzed the draft capital and thinking that, Oh, they have to use this guy. Mm-hmm. If not, you know, if not just as much, maybe even like, more than they would Kenneth Walker because of, you know, how inefficient Kevin uh, Kenneth Walker was at times last year. And, and then he ends up not even being a factor and Kenneth Walker ends up being the bell cow for the majority of the year. So I I think just, you know, looking towards maybe some, some of the guys that just have a higher ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you, you know, you want to talk about a guy like Nico Collins, like, you know, that I know that he was drafted in some cases because, We didn't really know about CJ Stroud. I mean, heck, you could have taken CJ Stroud. And I mean, I doubt anybody took CJ Stroud, but like, you could have taken a shot on some of these, you know, later round, you know, later round quarterbacks, and actually ended up with a starter in some Mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. You know, so so it's it just seems like the assets in those later rounds could have been allocated better than on a lot of these guys. And of course, busts are going to happen, like with Bichon and with Ramondre, and like Madison and Sanders. Those are bound to happen but it's it's just i mean we got to try our best to you know to avoid them at, at, in any situation that we can given the information that we were able to gain from this year
0: the the name that kept popping up in my head as soon as you started talking and i couldn't get it out of my head the entire time do you remember it's it's mid august it's still hot out we're talking about anything under the sun just so excited for football and fantasy football do you remember when people thought Tank Bigsby was going to take the job from Travis Etienne in Jacksonville? <laughs> do you Do you remember that? You know, um, I, I,
1: it's funny because I was like, I have, a, I had a name. It wasn't that name, but I do remember that because I remember <laughs> I I made a Dynasty trade, trading away Tank Bigsby to a guy who thought. And he was the ETN owner, so he was worried. Um, but, so you know, I, it's funny because I thought I was preparing for another Florida team who had a similar situation where everybody was kind of convinced that Sean Tucker was going to be the starting running back in Tampa over Rashad White. And boom, uh-huh. Rashad White ends up being, you know, a top, I, I think it was, what, top five fantasy back on the season or top eight. So, yep. yeah. So, yep. you know, yep. just just try, it, the matter of just not overthinking and like the, yeah, the whole thing.
0: Don't cute. Yeah, yeah, getting get good cute, running backs on good teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, teams and especially whenever
1: we try to get cute off of like off-season hype and preseason, you know, a preseason chatter that comes from you know the Twitter, you know, the Twitter. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, like cesspool of preseason talk and camp <laughs> talk. Yeah, just it, block it out a lot of the time <laughs> because typically with the especially whenever it's, oh this you know this. I mean, maybe Kyron is the exception because he definitely is. But like,
0: what was the next man I was going to get to? Mm-hmm. Man,
1: this UDFA, Sean Tucker, all of right. a sudden is going to take over the starting job over second round or th- second or third round pick. I forget what, when Rashad White was taken, but you know, second year, you know, athletic pass catching, you know, very more more than capable runner than we realized in Rashad White. It's just very, it's laughable to think that that was a storyline preseason. So it, just don't overthink this kind of stuff. Is the way I see it.
0: T- Tank Bigsby, I, and so these I don't know where um, PFR Pro Football Reference gets their like fantasy points, but they use it as a, a sort option on on Stathead. Uh, of sixty-eight running backs on the season that had fifty or more carries, Tank Bigsby was literally last in fantasy points um, by a pretty wide margin. I love that. Yeah, don't get don't get cute. Don't you know? Don't think you're going to outsmart everybody, especially early mid round i mean i like in one league i took take bigsby with my last pick just because i was like eh, why not and then you know after one week you watch the game and cuz another with these with these late round guys or or like you're saying if if there's a a bad team and a guy you're not that sure about like ball security that stuff is real B- bigsby fumbled what in the first game and like didn't touch the grass for like four more weeks or something like that um that stuff matters and yeah you're ju- you're not going to find the random name that you had to like look at three different websites to even figure out what team he was going to be on. And he's going to supplant the starter whose name you know right off the top of your head in week one, right? It's just not going to happen. Kyron was the guy I was thinking about though, because Ken Makers was there to start the year, right? But we knew that was a weird situation to, you know, ask him for the trade, to not ask for the trade, all the injuries that had piled up already. We knew that was a weird situation. And we knew by week one, Right, because Kyron was on our week one show. Okay, yeah, you and everybody, like everyone, fall to. Oh, that guy went off, and is clearly the dude. Go pick him up off waivers, and, and and that's the deal. You you sort through, and you just look at the guys who are the top guy. Yeah, it's it's t good teams, teams that like to run the ball, names that you know, right? So like, even a guy like Joe Mixon, right? The Bengals have had such an inconsistent run game over the years by raw metrics and advancement. You know the name Joe Mixon. He's in a good offense. It proved to even be a good offense, so fine offense, solid offense. With Joe Burrow out, uh, and, and you know who, like you, he's the guy. I, I, who who was their mid round guy this year that they drafted to replace P Ryan? The, was it the guy from Cal? Or somebody? They drafted somebody. Oh, I round. just
1: realized that I was muted. It's Chase Brown from Illinois.
0: Thank you, <laughs> Illinois. There we go. Um. Chase Brown wasn't going to come in and supplant Joe Mixon. They weren't trading Joe Mixon at the deadline. Like, it was just, just, right, just don't get, right. don't get crazy. I mean,
1: and I'm not going to lie. I was definitely there was a time where I'm like, <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna cut Joe Mixon and Chase gonna Brown's going to be the starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I fell for it too. Yeah,
0: and it, I mean, yeah, it happens. It
1: definitely and just one, like one don't, thing I do. One thing I want to clarify is that I, I do not have a problem with like stashing other teams oh, handcuffs yeah. like that's fine yeah the problem that i have is if you're gonna do it like do it on a on a team that like is probably gonna like use them regardless you know right. like like right. If, if you wanted to and because they were a winning team like i you know despite the lack of uh you know playoff success um or no playoff success i should say like Jalen Warren was a usable fantasy asset this year, as you probably mm-hmm. know, as a Steelers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was mm-hmm. on a team that was winning games. And so they, they used him, although he was a handcuff, he was one that where you actually could have started him as an RB two if you really needed to, in a lot of cases, whereas yep. like, I know that the Packers ended up making the playoffs and like with guys like AJ Dillon and like, I mean, even Antonio Gibson down the stretch. And uh, I mean, you look at, Zeke Elliott after Ramondre came back. And a lot of them were not like super useful in any capacity. So uh, if you're going to do it, make sure that they're on winning teams is the, the way that I would say it. If you're going to draft any kind of backup to stash or just hope that maybe an injury happens, do it for a team that's plus 500.
0: Yeah. Good. uh, uh Our final lessons from 2023, 2024 draft good players on good teams. And, um, uh uh, the 49ers and secure your wide receiver room and make sure yeah draft wide receivers
1: who are multiple pro bowl you know good guys yeah good
0: (laughs) wide receivers um (laughs) draft good running backs uh don't don't think too hard be the guy in your league that does no research just shows up usually just goes with what his favorite team is or what ESPN tells him to do or way out and just like just have a good time. Just have a good time. It, it's it's January. It's the end of January. It's January thirty first as we record this. Our lessons are just take it easy, man. Don't don't stress so much. And you know, in eight months, when you're doing nothing but reading and and mock drafting and stressing, um, try to remember the show try to remember this show just take it just draft good players man it'll be
1: fine it's just funny we do all this research and analytics and you know we we talk about it for you know almost an hour and a half and we come to the conclusion to just like take good players i love it
0: (laughs) yeah no big deal it it, it's so easy right i mean uh nfl gms do it every year in the draft everyone just takes the good players all the time uh and everybody's teams are great it's a really easy formula
1: Yeah. And the bad teams overthink it. And so, which we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm sure that as you do draft prep, you're probably going to, you know, talk about a lot of these bad teams and you know what they're going to end up doing. Like, I have no idea what the jets are going to end up doing, but I'm sure that whatever it is they're going to do is probably going to be overthought in some capacity. I know that, I know that they had the, uh, the 2022 draft class and that was a great class, but uh, outside of that, it's been a little, uh, not, not the greatest, I guess
0: can't wait for them to take like who's trending down at receiver right now Keon Cole Keon Coleman Keon the Coleman take it? yeah yeah, yeah, can't, yeah I mean can't I can't wait I, I like, and for him to I get like three Keon, targets a game but
1: but I like Keon but uh and I I do live in the state of Florida so I did watch him play quite a bit but uh in retrospect there are some some issues that I have with him that like Kind of give me Kevin White vibes, but I'm not. Oof. We like, but we're not, we're not. We're not. We're not getting that far. So T- we're getting way T- ahead of ourselves. It's not. T- it, we still got the Super Bowl before we should. You know, we,
0: draft we, draft we talk got, starts. We got we got plenty of time to dig in. Uh, but Peyton, this was a blast. That always one more time for everybody. All the stuff is going to be in the episode description. But just plug away. What you got going on?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, as always, me and my brother, uh, we record the two Ps on a pod uh, podcast on a weekly basis. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at T W O P S H O W. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at two peas on a pod. Um, you can, you know, feel free to DM us. I think soon we're going to start doing uh, a lot more like interaction. So if you want us to talk about something on the show or, you know, whatever, you can feel free to hit our DMS and maybe we'll pick your topic to talk about. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, continue to listen to Simon. He's a real, real smart guy, uh, oh. really knows his stuff, really knows ball. Um, oh. Continue to support the Box Score Network guys. They're good friends of ours. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me again, man.
0: Oh, man, I appreciate it as always. So everybody, for me, for Peyton, thank you all so much for listening. We will be back next week to dive into all things Super Bowl. Uh, and don't, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. So thank you all so much. Have fun and be safe out there. you mm-hmm.